Welcome back, everyone, to the Madness and Grace podcast. We're coming up on 20 episodes, which Matt is kind of crazy. I feel like the year's kind of flown by. I don't know about you. I can't imagine that we've made 17 of these already. So, uh, yeah. but, uh, but we have, and I think they've gone well. And mm-hmm. a lot of that, I mean, I would say most of the success of this is, should be attributed to you. It was your idea, and you do a great <laughs> job putting it together. Well, thanks, Matt. Well, today we are joined by a very special guest, Maddie Styers. She is our chief clinical officer, or should I say Dr. Maddie Styers? She's our chief clinical officer um, here at the Hope and Healing Center and Institute. And she is here to talk about women and trauma. And thanks so much for being here, Maddie. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to, to be on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being with us, Maddie. Glad to have you here. And uh, what most people, what many people don't know about you is that trauma is kind of one of your areas and you did your doctoral work around uh, women and trauma. So maybe just to kind of put us all on the same page, could you kind of define trauma for us and and then maybe give us an idea of kind of maybe short and long term of the psychological effects of trauma? Yeah. So I think the the term trauma is used pretty widely. Uh, You know, our society has started kind of pick up on um, really incorporating mental health into kind of our, our entire health care. And, and you see that across all of like social media platforms and whatnot. So trauma is a word that we see popping up more and more kind of used a little more freely. There's, there's kind of, I, I want to start off before I define trauma talking about stress. And so with every day, we all have stressors, whether it's in relationships or at work or you know, just out at the grocery store, driving, financial stress. So everyone experiences some sort of distress based on events that are happening throughout our lives. A step up from that, we have major life events. That could be marriages, you know, getting married. That's stressful. Good stress, but it's it's stressful. Um, a, you know, a divorce, an end of a relationship, or, you know, the loss of a loved one. Those are considered major life events where the distress that you experience might be a little greater than the day-to-day stress that you, that we experience through just the normal happenings of life. And then we also, on the upper end of this kind of spectrum, we have trauma. And so so trauma is actually defined as experiencing an event when a person is faced with actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. And that is the, the term that we use to kind of define trauma. And when I talk about it today, that's what I'll be talking about. When someone experiences one of these events, especially women, right, we'll talk a little bit more about that. There's kind of these different buckets of symptoms that can come out of experiencing a severe trauma or traumatic event. We have like intrusive symptoms, we have avoidance symptoms, thought and mood symptoms, and then an arousal or increased reactivity symptom bucket. So I kind of put them in, it's kind of outlined in those four buckets. Um, the intrusive symptoms are thoughts, memories, dreams, flashbacks, things that, that might pop up. Avoidance symptoms are trying to avoid places, things, people, or just the thoughts of the event. Thought and mood disturbances, obviously, you know, feeling more anxious or feeling more depressed or having um, intrusive thoughts, things along those lines. And then the arousal, the increased arousal is kind of what we think of like people being jumpy or startling easier lack of concentration or having a hard time sleeping. So when you think about the symptoms that we kind of use to diagnose someone who might have experienced a trauma and potentially be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, those are the four buckets that we can kind of think about broadly. And those can be short-term or they can be long-term. They can, can experience them kind of brief acutely after an event, 
or they can last for a long time where someone um, might need to reach out for additional support, either professional care through their faith community or just family, friends, and loved ones. But those buckets are found in our diagnostic manual. So it doesn't always include the other aspects of our life. So someone who's experienced a severe trauma or multiple traumas is going to have kind of a, the effects seen throughout much of their life. So there's the physical aspect and oftentimes, you know, they end up in the doctor with uh, physical pain or illnesses that can't really pinpoint the, the meat, the reason why that's happening. There's oftentimes relational issues as well. You know, the symptoms that someone experiences following a trauma can really interfere with their interpersonal relationships and ability to communicate They may not understand why someone's doing something. Someone may not understand why they're behaving in a certain way. Um, And then the spiritual problems. You know, we see the people following a trauma, some lean heavily on their faith and their spirituality to to move through that. They have a good support system set there, a community that's wonderful. Um, Sometimes people also struggle with the question of like, why did this happen to me? Why me? And, you know, all, all. questioning and whatnot. So it not only affects the kind of the way we think about mental health and the diagnoses and all of those those previous buckets, but it affects long-term almost every aspect of of someone's life if they're not able to get care, get get support, get treatment that that is needed. Maddie, you mentioned obviously the unique forms of trauma that women face, such as gender-based violence and sexual harassment. And how can we raise awareness about these issues and work towards, you know, preventing them in society? I know preventing is like, well, can we prevent anything? But what what can we do to prevent stuff like this from happening? Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that in the last several decades, right? Like really the starting point is just having conversations and understanding um, how gender-based violence, wh- what it is and how it happens and how mm-hmm. historically it's been Um, not a topic of conversation. You know, we've seen the Me Too movement come about and that raised a lot of awareness. But I think, you know, one thing to point out is gender-based violence does happen. It is is a thing. You know, men can be uh, victims of sexual, physical violence as well, but there's there's a more women report being experiencing gender-based interpersonal violence. Actually, globally, one out of three women will experience an interpersonal trauma or violence at some point in their life. So one out of every three women will have that experience at some point from 16 and older. So that's not including uh, adverse childhood experiences. It's so it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty shocking number. And, you know, working in the mental health field, we have all these conversations and we've seen trauma-informed care and the treatments and it, that's all wonderful, right? But like, how do you have the conversation about gender-based violence, interpersonal violence in worlds or spheres that aren't may not have the knowledge or the skill set is it's just having the conversation and, and starting that. Like, is this something that we're seeing here? You know, do we need support? What would that support be? And if they're not sure, you know, reaching out to organizations or agencies like the Hope and Healing Center uh, to say, hey, like we're the space that we're in needs some support. Like what training can we get? Yeah, ultimately. Like you said, I'm not sure if we can prevent the traumas from happening, but we can be proactive in understanding how we support people uh, as they find themselves in the aftermath of a trauma. I feel like anytime Matt and I talk about anything, we always say the first step is just to start talking about it, which seems like really obvious, but 
it's not that obvious when you're put, you know, in the situation. So that kind of message is really sprinkled throughout the show and especially here. And Maddie, you briefly mentioned trauma-informed care and trauma-informed care is essential for helping women recover from traumatic experiences. What are the key principles of trauma-informed care and how can individuals and institutions implement these principles to better support women who have experienced trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's some key points to trauma-informed care. So I Mm -hmm. think SAMHSA has identified some uh, areas of it. So it's creating a sense of safety, helping to create a sense of safety, offering transparency in, in what's going on, like what services are being offered, what that person is engaging in, providing peer support, you know, working collaboratively with the individuals that you're serving, fostering empowerments, really helping people to understand that they have power and can take control of their lives. Um, and then understanding how cultural biases and, and cultural nuances play into the populations that you're working with. So I think when we think about trauma-informed care, at least I, when I think about it as a mental health care provider, I think about it in my space, in my realm of healthcare, mental health care. And really, we're seeing it kind of spread into, you know, schools and businesses and, you know, organizations that don't focus primarily on mental health. And what does that look like? And it's a challenge because if you're trying to deliver a service or teach a class, like that's your primary goal. That's what you're working towards. But to then take into consideration, how am I engaging with these people? Am I hitting all these points to make sure that I'm not re-traumatizing someone or that I'm aware that there's probably people in this space that have experienced a trauma and maybe dealing with the symptoms in the aftermath. Um, so it, it, it can be a challenge. And I think it's, again, something just having the conversation, like if you're seeing like, hey, we're, we're like at a, you know, in a church, like, hey, we have people showing up that are really struggling with some stuff and some experiences that they've had, like, I have no idea how to handle these people as they walk in. What should I do? You know, having that conversation and, and recognizing it's fine if you don't know how to handle it, if you don't know what to do. Mental health care providers spend years in school and researching and training to be able to handle and manage these situations. And part of the trauma-informed care is just knowing what trauma responses and trauma looks like in someone after the fact. So you can appropriately get them the referrals and get them the resources and get them to the place. If, if you don't have that set up to be able to help, uh, help them navigate whatever system it is that they're in in a, in a more efficient and I guess safe manner. Well, you mentioned uh, faith uh, earlier uh, in your comments. Uh, can you, can you give us an idea of how, you know, how do women who've been traumatized um, use their faith as a, as a supportive factor or, or maybe just the opposite? Can it be uh kind of a negative, but what can we do to kind of encourage a person in their faith? Yeah. So again, there's different ways to think about using faith in the aftermath of of trauma. Obviously there's, again, I keep saying my sphere, the mental health world, right? Like incorporating that into practice, understanding, you know, the clients that you're working with and, and how much they're wanting to talk about their beliefs and how much support they're needing and, and how can you, you know, walk with them in that journey, maybe helping not telling them what to do or telling them certain things, but helping them understand where they're at in their faith journey. Because some some women who have experienced an interpersonal violence, this traumatic event, do lean really heavily on their faith community, especially if they're really plugged in on their relationship with God, their their spirituality, you know, what that connection does for them and helps them find 
uh, some resolve or, or peace or just comfort in the pain. Um, and I think that we do see that happening. And some women struggle with their faith, their spirituality after, you know, the big question is why me? Why, you know, why did God let this happen to me? You know, I'm not sure that anybody can answer that question besides God himself, right? And so right. that can be really challenging when you have someone walking into, especially if you're in a faith community, a church, someone walks in and you're not, you've not been through a training or know how to handle mental health. And you've got people asking these really challenging questions and you think that you're helping by, uh, you know, making statements or trying to be encouraging, but really they're just looking for for some some level of support and comfort and maybe like acknowledgement that like there is this heavy pain and in the experience that they've had. So faith can be really helpful in the aftermath of a trauma. If the person who's walking with this, if the person offering support, the faith community leader or whoever, the lay person in the church has an understanding of what is happening with this person. And, and can say, okay, I understand that what trauma is and how right. this person is responding to it. And, and so I have a little bit of awareness to not stick my foot in my mouth in some of the things that I say, because when someone is experiencing traumatic response, they're going to be hypersensitive. And so um, how do you engage with someone who is, is struggling in a way that like regular everyday stress or even major life events aren't going to have you ex- like responding. So, yeah, I mean, I think faith can be hugely instrumental in someone's recovery and yeah, whether that's in, in therapy and. No, I see that. I, I, I find it interesting that you struggle a little bit on answering that. And I, and I would say that the reason that you do is because a person, a person can be supportive of someone, um, and their faith and be very beneficial to them as they recover from trauma. But I think the, the converse is also true. As you said, yeah. put your foot in your mouth. You, faith can be used almost to harm someone uh, either actively or passively. Uh, and it, you know, it isn't as simple as saying, well, you've been traumatized. So just pray and move on right. that, that can be very damaging. So that being said, maybe you could give us a few kind of, I always like to do it where we, we give a few, application things of of what what could people in a faith community or a faith community do to support uh someone that has is it that is expressing that they've been traumatized uh just very simple things but what are some things you would say don't ever do uh because that would not be beneficial do or say one of the big do or say exactly yeah. yeah one of the big things that i i talk about in practice, but I think this applies to someone in a faith community setting as support is, and this, you know, some of us believe everything happens for a reason, right? Like that is oftentimes people's belief and it's not everyone's. And so to say that to someone who's just been raped or experienced a really violent interaction, they may find comfort in that. They may, they may. So if you know that person, you know, that's their belief. They might find comfort in that. Someone might also say, well, you tell me the reason I was raped. And that's what I mean by sticking your foot in your mouth. It can come from a place of, of genuine care and concern and love and saying, you know, God loves you. And it's it's just kind of a lack of understanding. And, uh, right, so- or saying something like God, you know, the Bible verse, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So something good's going to come out of this. Great. Well, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, some people find comfort in that, but some people don't. And so I think one of one of the best things that 
of you know a faith community can do is be aware of the congregants that the, the community that they're working in understanding the issues that are happening trauma is happening everywhere it is happening in every con- congregation it is there whether people are talking about it or not and women are experiencing this so outside of just like kind of the visual understandings of your community like understanding that trauma is there and getting educated on it the people who are in the office that are they're greeting people on Sundays that are, or which, whatever day the service is, you know, that they're aware of like what behaviors they might be looking for that might cue like, hey, this person might need a little bit more support or, or conversation or just community after this and like opening that door. And then here's the plug, right? Like the Hope and Healing Center, we offer training for faith communities, schools, and businesses to train their their clergy and lay people and just employees and teachers on how to understand signs of someone struggling with their mental health. And then we train them on how to appropriate, appropriately, appropriately <laughs> refer them to mental health care providers, you know, getting them streamlined, you know, offering that initial support and, and even offering support groups in faith communities where we have coaches that are really interested in um, our mental health coaches that are really interested in offering the services, the support services there, but some communities can't do that. And so helping people understand, hey, this person maybe needs some support beyond just the prayer and beyond just the conversation here today. Let me help connect them uh, with right. the appropriate uh, resources. And I just don't, I think people don't do that. You know, they, Matt, yeah. you know, the statistic of how many people go to their faith communities before they go see a provider. And oftentimes they're not getting those referrals. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, at at the end of the day, uh, we need to listen more and talk less. I think a lot of times is probably a better approach and uh, don't try to uh, explain uh, away someone's trauma to them. Uh, You know, they need to, they need to express how it has affected them, how they feel and how it's affected them and how they feel may not be how it affected or would make you feel. Uh, or you might not like what you hear because trauma is very ugly, but, uh, you know, sometimes just listening is better than, than speaking. And so I think that's another thing that we do a lot. And I think we should do in faith communities more, we should listen more and not try to fix. I'll, I'll kind of end with this experiencing an interpersonal trauma, gender-based trauma is in itself an extremely invalidating experience. It says to that person, you are not valuable or worthy. And 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 that in and of itself is extremely invalidating and confusing. And then to afterwards go look for support and someone say, well, you need to get over it. You're, mm-hmm. you're re-invalidating that person's emotional response. And so it just becomes, you know, one thing after another. And this is why people really struggle with it is because their the the experience itself is invalidating and then they experience these little bits of invalidation past that which really can just be extremely damaging to people and talk less listen more even if you don't agree with what they're saying you can agree with the emotion that they're having right we all know what distress is and that person is clearly in distress and you can validate Absolutely. that well, thank you so much, Maddie, for being here. In the episode, you had talked about, you know, getting support from your peers and how important that is just, you know, for anyone struggling with mental health issues, not just trauma, but whatever you have going on. And that's why our Hope Line is here. And at the end of every every episode, 
I like to plug the Hope Line because um, it's just such a good, great resource. And yeah, our Hope Line is open every day from 5 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Call and get up to 30 minutes of peer counseling on the phone and get referred to places of support that you know match your capabilities, your financial capabilities. So I just always want to plug the Hope Line here. And of course, I'll leave the phone number and everything in our show notes as always. Thank you so much, Maddie, for being here today. And thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me.